Welcome to Resilience Rock Sales, your front row seat to rocking your sales game. I'm your host, Stacey Kopas. Today's episode is brought to you by the Academy of Resilience Inner Circle. For more information, head to academyofresilience.com.au. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Resilience Rock Sales Podcast. Today, I am joined by the fabulous Lisa Barry. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to connect with you, Stacey. Oh, I'm so excited to connect with you too. And we were having a little bit of a chat beforehand and you were telling me about how much you love sales. So I'm, I think we're going we're gonna to have a lot of gold here that we can share with our audience. Just to get us kicked off, I'd love for you to share. Just give us a bit of a background on, on the Lisa story. Okay, snapshot. I'm going to do this in a nutshell because we could go on for days. But, um, you know, born in South Africa, moved to Vienna when I was a teenager, a straight A student, then kind of sent for studying and everything. I uh, took a gap year, ended up being an engineer, was doing that for four years. It sucked the soul out of me. And so I went into a coaching journey or personal development journey, somewhat across coaching, was coaching and dabbling for about five years. Feeling insecure, if like, you know, I wasn't good enough, if I was going to be judged or not, but getting myself out there in business. Came to a point in the five years where I was like aligning the sand and I need to absolutely go all in on this. And when I made that decision, it was in the midst of COVID when everybody was buying toilet paper. And I was like, well, I'm going to invest $25,000 into mentors right now. And so I did the opposite to what everybody was doing, although I did buy toilet paper. So like guilty, charged to say that. But, you know, I, I did go into abundance and, and thinking about it from that space. When I drew that line in the sand, um, I went the, the year before, I went from a 52K year to a 52K month. Um, and then 56, 73, 113, and it just kept growing. And I hit my first seven figures within 10 months, supporting coaches in scaling to six or seven figures. Um, you know, not before long, I was running a team of about 16 people within a two and a half year period, um, to the point where I was just like, wow, this is extraordinary. And it opened so many incredible doors and I connected to so many different people. And I think the opportunity of sales here, if we were to like shine a light on it, was that it gave me gifts that I never knew I could receive from being able to receive money and also give money. And so, you know, I ended up being in worlds and meeting people that I absolutely had no idea existed, but the opportunities then presented was quite extraordinary from then. Um, I got to a point in my business, that first business where, you know, some people were getting results and other people weren't, even though they had the same strategy, they had the same mindset, they had the same emotional coaching, they had the same community, the same accountability. It's And then it killed me on the inside. I'm like, what is this thing that is missing? Because I am so passionate about who I help and how I help them. And I really and truly believe that whatever you desire and whatever your dreams are, goals, whatever it may be, it's absolutely achievable and doable, whatever it is. It's just how do we get there? And the missing piece that I found through working in that business and steadily and growing pretty quickly was that consistency 
was a huge aspect that a lot of people were told to do, but didn't know how to create. And so the Consistent Me Company was born because I wanted to help people teach the exact how to create consistency instead of being told to do it. So now we've got a foolproof formula that anybody can use in any area of life to be able to help them succeed at whatever level, whether it's in business, personal development, career, relationship, health. Uh, it's really like, how can you become the most consistent you can be so that you can create the most extraordinary dreams that you have? That's amazing. My gosh, there is so much in that. <laughs> Okay, so where do we go from here? Because there was so much there. I'm just like, okay. But I think, look, consistency. And I think it's, it's, it's one of these things that's like, sounds simple, but in practice, again, what it reminds me of in the way you described it, it's like when we were even at school, it's like you got told you need to study, but no one yes. ever taught us how to study. Like, yeah. what does that look like? You know, I remember just opening a book and going, yeah, I know that and closing it again. Those type of things. So I love that you did that. There's a couple of things I'd love to sort of riff off on that. And we've got some, some interesting parallels as well, because it's like, I was very similar to you. Like when the whole COVID thing happened, I actually invested in mentors as well and dropped a lot of money as well on two specific mentors that I worked with one in 2020 for 14 months and then another one for a year in 2021. And that was transformational, but it was like, I probably wouldn't have done that had we kept going the same way we were going. So it's so nice to have a complacency shattered for a while, isn't it? And yeah, then having that response to that. What I was really curious about as well is because you said you went from the engineering and stuff like that to then going into coaching. And so what was it you were actually coaching on at the moment? You mentioned about like scaling, helping coaches scale and things like that. So how did you get into that from engineering? Yeah, okay. Uh, so when I was engineering and studying coaching at the same time, um, I initially attracted a lot of people that was in the masculine feminine space. And that's particularly because I was a woman in engineering at the time. Uh, look, I was like one in five within my entire like university year level, um, you know, that as we're going through. So, and I found that a lot of people, even in engineering, they wouldn't, they would call me superstar princess, all these sort of things, names, because I don't know, I was a woman and I challenged them for some reason. Anyway, so I, I went into the masculine and feminine and then I started to attract a bunch of women and I didn't know why I thought I'd attract a lot of them because I was an engineer, but it didn't end up working out that way. I just attracted a whole bunch of women. Um, then I was working with women in emotional trauma and supporting them through that. And then that evolved into working with coaches, uh, particularly because the school that I was um, co like training to be a coach at, I ended up getting a job there to, I left my engineering job and went to work there, but I didn't work and coach the students there. I just kind of built my connections. But then once I got out of that and I knew how to do emotional coaching, I knew how to connect with women in such a deep and, and in a vulnerable, but empowering way, um, an empowering vulnerability and supporting them in having a voice and allowing themselves to go, you know what, this is what I want to do. Then that moved into business coaching. So people that were coming to me for emotional coaching, I was like, well, how did you grow your business? And I said, oh, well, you guys need to do this and this and this and this. And they're like, oh, okay, can you teach me some more? And it, it just started to do it. And so then once I niche in, well, I actually help female coaches get to six or seven figures in the, in the previous business, 
that's when everything took off. And it was also a surrender. It was, I'm going to listen to my coach. I'm going to listen to my mentors. And if they say jump, I'll ask, I'll hi, what trampoline do we need to get? And how, like, you know, I'm, I'll ask all of the questions. And I said to myself, I'm going to be the best client that anybody has ever experienced. And I did. I was the Roger Bannister for the, the group that I ended up being in. Um, and I was the first out of, it was a six figure program and I hit seven figures in it. And then I did a seven figure month. So for me, the transition moved because it was an, it, it was a defaulting into what I was really good at. I think the difference between then and now is that was a default and it was playing to my strengths. And then once I learned the strengths, then it was, well, now instead of default, I'm going to decide what I want to do. And so now I'm in the next phase of building the the business in a way that is by my design rather than a default pandemic and what I'm good at. That's that's awesome. And so often it's like as you said, it's, it's that the clients that, that are going to tell you what they want, isn't it? And yeah. you're then I guess it's a combination of that, isn't it? The clients will tell you what they want, but then I guess you as the coach will also know what they need. And yes. so marrying those two things together and then in order to help them get the results is is awesome. Yeah. And I know from the audience that we, that we have being people in sales, there's a couple of things that you said just then that I know that they're going to go, their curiosity would have been sparked massively is how did you then go from where you were um, in that business to then suddenly being able to make that leap to, you know, a seven figure month, like way, way, way ahead of anybody else in that sort of cohort that you were in from a sales perspective, what did that look like for you? So from a sales perspective, one of the things that I did when I first started the journey is I needed to know what my money caps were, what my limitations of success was. So uh, I don't know about anybody listening to this podcast, but for me, when I have a couple of wines, um, I get deep and meaningful. So I will sit there, I'll, I'll land myself and be like, Stacey, let me know about your childhood. Like, how did you grow up? What happened to you? Anyway, so I'm that type of person. And. I was having a couple of wines with my parents at the time and I was at their place and I had asked them, I said, mom, what do you define as success? And I asked my dad, what does he define as success? And it was interesting. My mom's definition was to work and work really hard, but not too much and don't overshadow anybody. My dad's definition was work as hard as you can to get the most recognition, despite to the detriment of, almost, right? He, they didn't say those words, but in how they described it. And so what happened for me as, as their child was, I was always getting to a bottleneck of like, oh, I'm drinking the top, but like, I can't move because I'm so good at what I do. And I couldn't break free because I didn't know unconsciously that that was placed on me as a kid. I then also asked them, well, how much is a successful year for them? that they would define as that. And my dad was about 150, my mom was about 80. And I looked at every single one of my previous jobs and every single one only ever got to 72. Okay. So I'd never done more than that. And I was like, oh my gosh. So what I wanted to uncover number one was what are all my unconscious patternings that I have received traditionally through my culture or through my parents or anybody who's raised me or influenced me. And where's that sitting? Because I could take that on or I could say, you know what, I'm going to be the trailblazer. I'm going to be that tradition breaker. And if I decide to become that person, then what does that look like? So the first thing was an internal recognition of where that cap was. 
Then it was, okay, now I'm on a mission to be able to create that. The next phase of this, so the first one is awareness of where it is. The second phase is to be able to go, well, I'm going to do it. Like it's, it's curiosity and removing the ego. Um, so for a lot of salespeople, and I know this, it's, it's an ego focus. So it's like, when I get the sale, then I feel good. When this happens, it's like, so it's an, it's a focus on self rather than a selflessness. So I started to get curious on how can I be the person that when someone else connects to me, they feel like they truly see them. They know that I'm there for the right reasons. They know that I'm fighting for the things. And I truly believed in what it is that I was selling or serving at the time. So it came from a place of curiosity. So I was always inquisitive. And it wasn't, if I stuffed up a sale, which we all have done. Um, you know, I remember the first sale, I was like, yes, I'm going to do this. And then the first sale, the, the chick was basically all the way to the top. Yes. And I was like, yes, I've got this. And then at the end of it, I pressured her a little bit too much. This was at the very, very start. I pressured her a bit too much and she completely backed off and completely flipped. And I was like, what did I do? Oh my God. This is what people told me. They said, you've got to take the money on the call. And, um, you know, I, I learned all these things. And so I was trying to implement it. And one of the things that I said to myself now, I could have let that sale really kill my mojo, really kill my self-esteem, uh, really kill what I was going to do with the next person. But I said to myself, well, my business is built on one person saying yes alone, then my business is flawed, right? So it came from a place of curiosity and then going, well, I'm always in forever learning. So, you know, if I could increase my sales conversions, by 1% every single time I had a sales call, I'm winning, you know, and how can it, and, and that always came from a place of, if I watch someone convert a room and, or sell something and they could convert at 80%, how did they do it? <laughs> how did they do it? And I'm like, I will sit there and I will pick the hell out of their brain. I'll ask them every question in the side. So that level of curiosity really gave me the tools and understanding to be able to go, well, you know, this is how we grow from here. So it, it came from a place of curiosity and, and being a childlike learner. That's awesome. And I know, I know what you mean about when you see like particularly someone selling from stage and you're wanting to not like, because I used to always love just going and sitting, sitting right at the back of the room. So I could sort of watch <laughs> like everyone moves and does all yeah. that sort of, when are they, when are they fidgeting in their seats? At what point did that person say that? Like, when are they leaning in? Like it's, it is, it's, it's having a look at all of those things and then uh, and and I guess it uh, you, you would have just taken the things that then that felt right for you rather than as you said that whole thing you've got to get the money on the on the call those type of things so some of those things that you get drummed into you that then if you felt that pressure to do that as you said it that, that, that then pushed that person away so it's really interesting just to hear how that how that came about for you and did you find then because as you said if you your previous cap on what you'd earned in a year was seventy two thousand. What was your process then for then setting new targets or new goals from that? I just said that I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And it, it was kind of just a decision. It was as simple as that. Um, people ask me, what is the one thing that you did? They asked me this. I was like, I did many things. But uh, what is the one thing that you did in order for you to go from, uh, like, in my business of 52K year to, like, a million dollars in 10 months? And I said... Well, the one thing was that I decided was that I was willing to do whatever it takes. And I didn't mean that lightly. And I think a lot of people say, yeah, I'm going to do whatever it takes, but then I actually mean it. 
And this is where I think resilience comes in and being an active resilience seeker versus a reactive resilience seeker. I know you touched on that on any videos. Um, it's, it's the courage to pursue rather than the, the, the waiting to be gifted. And so it was, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And that's not someone telling me you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to get this. It was, okay, they're going to tell me that, but I need to figure out the rest of the alphabet. Um, and so, you know, I was focused on, let's go from A all the way to the X. And what, what do I need to do here so that when I receive the X, Y, and Z, I'm fully able to do that. So it was the willingness to do whatever it takes to get there and go, I've been, I, it was completely surrendering my ego and saying, I know it all. Um, because I think a lot of salespeople, especially if they've been trained by the company or trained in their business in a certain way, it's like, I know that this is the process of it. And that I know is a block and a barrier to be able to connect to the person because sales is relationships, right? So you're building relationships. And if you're the, I know it all in, in a conversation. So someone says, Hey, how are you? You say, go in the weather. Yeah, I know the weather. Uh, okay. And like, how about the, this economy? Yeah, I know about that. Like people want to think that you are an asshole. So it's like, you know, we just, but I know it all isn't going to be received well. And so the same thing happens energetically where we are connecting with someone, um, or trying to sell a product or whatever it may be, if we're in the ego space of I know it and not the surrender of I'm willing to do whatever it takes and I'm willing to be a student and I'm willing to let go of my ego and I'm willing to make mistakes and not get the sale sometimes but knowing that I'm improving and when I do I'm changing someone's life I'm changing my life I'm changing someone else's life I think it's it's when it's ecological it's good for me it's good for you and it's good for the great good and when we, when you can make an ecological sale you're making the world a better place. And so coming from a good space when you're doing it as well makes a, a massive difference. So really whatever it takes and that surrender is going to be a huge aspect to increasing your sales. And I like that you touched on there is the ecological. So it's that because people always think, oh, we're going to get a win-win. But no, we really need to get a win-win-win, isn't it? That <laughs> there's always that third aspect to it rather than just the two people or the two parties or the two groups of people that are engaged in that discussion. So I think that that, that makes a massive difference as well from a resilience perspective. Clearly, everything that you did didn't work the first time. So what did you find along the way? Because things, things never go exactly to the plan and they're not linear. So what did you find? What, how did you find, like, what were some of those setbacks that you perhaps encountered once you surrendered, you committed, you said, okay, I'm doing whatever it takes and you tried things and things didn't work. But how did you, what, what was your kind of response to that? And, and how did you use that to fuel yourself forward? One of the things that, it's a great question. It's a really good question because I think a lot of people think that they need to get it super perfect uh, at the start and then they try and study and prep and whatever it is to get it absolutely perfect. I think it was, it was really about allowing myself to fuck it up in the nicest way possible. I, I hope I can swear anyway. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really the permission piece of, I'm not going to get this right. It's, I kind of use this analogy where if we were on a mechanical wall and I went onto the mechanical wall for the first time, I found riding this ball and it was the first time that I ever did it and I fell off the ball. Then, um, 
I wouldn't go and scream at myself and go like, oh my gosh, how did he fall off the bull? Like you should have known. You said you wanted to ride the bull and now you can't ride the bull. Like what's wrong with you? You're pathetic. I and say all these things. Well, no, like that's the first time you rode the bull. So I'm going to get on and I go, okay, cool. Maybe if I squeeze my thighs a little bit more and then I can hold on a little bit longer and then maybe you hold on a little bit longer. And then you fall off again. Um, and then you go, okay, well, I watched this person do it. And for some reason, their arms in this position and this, and then moving their body in this way, maybe I should try that. And that's how you build it. So it's, an, it's releasing the judgment from the failures or, you know, and also an acceptance that you're not going to rock at everything. And I'm okay with saying I failed at some things. And some people are like, it's not failure, it's only feedback. Okay, cool. Whichever way you want to reframe it, doesn't matter. The fact is you need to be accepting of the fact that you're not going to get what you want or when you want, like with everything that you want at once. And I think this is the important part of it. It is I'm falling in love with progress. I don't fall in love with the outcome. My attachment to the outcome isn't there. This is what I want. My attachment is to who I am being along the way because the purpose of life is to get to know yourself. And so if the purpose of life is to get to know yourself, whether it's through sales, to creating relationships, building your business, helping people in this world, whatever it is, the purpose of life is to get to know yourself. And so every step of the way, it is going, well, I'm not going to figure it out. And when I fall down, I can get back up. I'm not going to judge. And if the judgment comes in, it's kind of like, well, would I say this to someone that I love and look them in their eyes and say those words in that in the chatter? Or would I encourage them to get back up? And so a lot of sales is actually working on your inner voice and how you're navigating. Because sometimes, yes, people pose really challenging things to you in their sense. Like, why should I buy from you? Or, you know, reality check is this and I don't have money in the bank and I don't have time for this. And, you know, you'll get every single one of the objections and that's a part of it. But if you're in objection of yourself along the way, then, well, guess what? You're going to get heaps of objections from people. But when you are in complete acceptance, will you get more people accepting the experience of working with you or your product or your service? So it really is about allowing yourself to be free from that judgment. Going, okay, I am, I'm going to fall in love with the progress. I'm going to fall in love with my little 1% improvement every single day and know that by the end of the year, freaking hell, I'm going to be a powerhouse, you know, and having that long-term gratification rather than the short-term. Yeah, it's, it's such a biggie, isn't it? Because it's so often it's like the, the focus is always, what's the big goal? What's your big, hairy, audacious goal? Or it's all about the over there, over there, over there. Whereas we have no control over that. It's just, as you said, fall in love with the process and those things that we do every day um, and those little one percenters. And that's the thing. And I love what you're doing with, with consistency, because again, people just think, oh, 1%, like there's this, as you said, that instant gratification, people are just wanting to see the result. But if you have that little 1% and you do that consistently over time, then it's the compounding effect of those things, isn't it? And it's a similar approach to have to resilience as well is that I talk about rituals for resilience and again, simple practices done consistently over time then lead you to that, you know, like going to the gym. It's like doing those simple exercises repeatedly over time and having some conversations about investing lately. Again, it's that simple compounding over time leads to exponential results. So it's great that you've shared that. And, and also I love, as you said, that 
that acceptance and the the conversation that's happening internally and the impact that that has because so often I think people don't realize that it's almost like sometimes you have a neon sign on your forehead, isn't it? It's like yes. what's going on in here is projected out there in such a hardcore way that people have no idea. But again, when you shift that energy from, as you said, to be that I know it all because that's the thing is that whole I know it is the biggest shutdown, yes. whether it's in a conversation with somebody else or you know, I talk about it in my keynotes. I'm like, the stuff I share is simple because it, sound, look, it's, it sounds simple because it is. But when you go, I know that, then you're cutting yourself off. So doing that, but then as you said, but you come back to that acceptance, that surrender. And so, so many people, I think, because it had been so, oh, we've got to set goals. We've got to have the steps. We've got to follow those steps. And so I think to some people that people might feel that that's, that's in direct conflict that surrender is almost opposed to that. What would you share with somebody that's had that sort of, oh my gosh, this feels like it's like the two opposing things. How do I reconcile that? Oh, so good. I love this question. I'm going to answer it in a second, but the one thing that I wanted you, I want to touch on that you shared just then was, um, we spoke about energy and how like you've got that neon sign. And one of the things I say to a lot of people is your energy speaks before you do. So whatever is happening internally, like, it's got, you you will feel that, you know, you feel when someone's negative Nancy, you can feel them. And so on an unconscious level, you're already communicating whatever it is. And so from a sales perspective, make sure you're, you're taking care of that energy on the inside because otherwise it'll be projected outwards. To answer, to answer your question, Stacey, I think it's a great question because a lot of people want to be in flow and a lot of people want to be in balance and be in harmony and you know, and then the structure of it or the consistency of it or the resilience building of it, right? They call it the Rocky Road and resilience uh, for a reason. But, you know, we look at structures, we look at systems and we look at all of these things that people are like, but that's not natural. You know, like the natural thing is just to flow with things. And I will say, well, let's look outside. Let's look at a plant. Um, it is a plant flowy shit because it just promote with things or and everybody could argue probably both points but the thing is this it needs water on a regular basis for it to grow it needs sun on a regular basis for it to grow it needs soil to be the right soil in order for it to grow and so the plant doesn't go i know what i need and so don't give me what i need the plant just receives the things that it needs in order for it to grow. And over a period of time, it grows to the heights. You know, you look at the most incredible oak trees that have been there for years, but it's consistency that's built them into these beautiful picturesque experiences that people get to have under them or with them or take photos of them. And so we looked at nature and nature is the most structured thing. We've got it in our body. Our bodies do exactly that. So yes, we can flow with creativity and yes, we can not follow things if we want to, but inconsistencies are detrimental as much as consistencies are detrimental. Both, if you're using them in the wrong context, will create a negative experience for you. And this is where, when we think about that resilience in sales, when we think about, you know, the challenges that we experience, if we think about all of these things that we go through. It is natural for us to build something that works for us. The key here is not to model and just model someone. It is to model and mold it to who you are. And so I never say to someone, just model me and then do what I do. Because, well, 
you can never be me and nobody can ever be whoever they aspire to be. They can only be themselves. And so if you're modeling, you've got to model first and then mold it into what it is that you need it to be. This so important for sales. When I created my sales framework, the five steps, as you said, so simple, so simple can create an 85 simple virtual rate. But the thing is, it is who you're being through that experience and how you're allowing that structure to come out in how you deliver it. So, you know, the flowy is bringing the, the you into it, but the structure is giving you the foundations to be able to grow within it. Yeah, I love that. That's such good distinctions. And, and as you said, nature, like my gosh. And then if you try and mess with it, then. Oh, it roars back. It's like, ah, uh-huh. no, 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 this is the way things are. And this is the thing. If you try it and, and, and I want everybody to think about it from this perspective. If you mess with nature, it will create a natural disaster to reset it back into what it needs to be. So, you know, that's what happens when we have challenges in life. It's like, well, this is your path. I need to give you this challenge so that you know that you need to go on this path, not this one. Uh, you know, we've got examples of it everywhere. So. <laughs> oh, for sure. And that's the thing is, I think it's one of those things. It's like you, you get those little, the little, the little hints, isn't it? That, okay, this is, a, this isn't quite right. And then if you ignore those and you keep going, then those things get louder. And then if you don't do it, then the universe just kicks your ass in the biggest way to, to, as you said, it's like, it's the personal natural disaster, isn't it? To go get yourself centered again, figure out what's going on and then get back on track rather than trying to, trying to change it all yourself. But yeah, I I like that you said that. And again, because I think as with salespeople, a lot of the time they get given scripts, don't they? So given, as you said, their training, their scripts, and then they're like, no, you just have to go and do it exactly like that. In those, in those circumstances, particularly it might be, maybe it's someone that's fairly new into sales and they sort of think, okay, I've got to do what I'm told. How would you advise them to, as you said, sort of mold that a little bit to themselves, but not feel like that they're being defiant to what their manager has asked them to do? Yeah. Cool. Great question. I think it's. It's simply uh, bring your personality into it and be personable through it. So, you know, if you can bring, so I could say to you, like, hey, Stacey, so good to have you here. Um, or I could say, hey, Stacey, really good to have you here. It, it makes a big difference the way in which you say things and make it personable to them. So if the sales script says, now ask about what their goals are, what their challenges are, um, and you say, what are your challenges? <laughs> Like, you know, you mean do it to the team. Well, it could be like, hey, I know life gets really tough sometimes. And one of the things that I want to explore with you and one of the things that I want to understand is what are some of the things that feel really tough for you, maybe at the moment or the things that you are thinking about in the future or even in the past that has maybe stopped you from being the best that you can be. I've asked the same question. I've just made it personal to them. And I I think this is where... Still use the structure, but allow yourself to be a human when you're talking to someone who is a human. So I think if we're talking to an eye, that's a different story. But if we're talking to a human being, then well, really, your your opportunities to connect there. And if the main purpose is to be able to connect to the person, when you sell your product, by selling a service, whether you're in a job or whether you're in a business, when you're selling, if you are connecting to the person, people buy through emotion and familiarity and trust, no like and trust. And so if you're not making yourself likable, 
And I mean, the only way to make yourself likable is to be yourself, by the way. There's no, I just have to say that as an asterisk because sometimes people go, now I've got to be a certain way in order for me to do this. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that I've learned from sales and the feedback that I've gotten is people are like, you're so real with me. And I feel like you're really authentic because if I make a mistake, I stuff up a word, something crazy happens, my dogs go barking or whatever. I just, I say that I'm human. And I, I, you know, I I was presenting one time and I, I swallowed my spit. I know this sounds terrible, but I swallowed my spit and, and, and then I started choking in the middle of me doing a presentation for an event. And I was like, guys, sorry. I just did this thing and I just started having a coughing fit on stage. And everybody looked at me, I was like, now you know I'm a real person. <laughs> so it was if I had one of those. And I just have fun with it because when you show your, yourself as being the person that makes mistakes as well, but laughs at the fact that it just did something silly. And or, you know, it, it just allows people gives them permission to be realtor. I like that. I guess the thing is, especially if you're, you know, you're leading somebody through something in a way, then yeah, as you do things and you give them permission as well, if you're at an event or on stage or anything like this, and you probably had very similar things happen, it's afterwards because you've shared part of your story and yourself openly with a room full of people, then everybody wants to come and share something with you or has a question or you know, then they would probably tell you stuff. They probably never told another human in the past because, again, you created that space and that 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 permission. But you do that through, as you said, being real and being human and doing all those type of things. And that little bit of self-deprecation always goes down well. And also a bit of humor into it as well. Yeah. I mean, people love funny. I, I, watched, I watched someone pitch um, over the weekend at an event. And it was interesting. I was watching him do it and he, he didn't captivate the audience initially, but he worked his way into it and he went for the sale. But before he went for the sale, he told them random, it wasn't even a connected joke. He just put a random joke in there. He's like, Hey, just by the way, side door. And then he shared a joke, made the entire audience laugh. And I was watching similar to you. I kind of watch it. I was like, what's everybody doing? And then he went into the pitch, but what happened when he cracked the joke just before the sale is everybody just leaned forward and I watched the whole room just move forward because when you bring in humor, it gives people permission to relax. Right. And so, and I think this is a really important point that you made there, Stacey, because people are in fear when they're purchasing something that means something to them. And so if they're in fear, how do you remove fear? You make things light. You make it easy. You make it simple. You know, you don't bring complexity or like seriousness or pressure. You do the the opposite. You step back. You let them have a good time. And that helps them process the emotion. And laughter is a way of expression. So the more you allow them to feel emotion to come out, the better it's going to be for you to close the sale. So I love that you shared that because I think that's one of like a really key element to actually helping sales and helping people, you know, buy your service for your product. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I learned it fairly early on, particularly around selling and connecting from stage and things like that as well. I had someone an early on mentor said, make them laugh, make them cry. The more they do that, the more they'll open their wallets. It's that. And even, as you said, so before going into making an offer or 
even sharing like something that's really, really big that you want them to take away that might be a little bit challenging. And again, make them laugh first. And like, whatever you say, whatever you do or say next after they've laughed, then that's the stuff that's going to stick and they're going to be set more open and more receptive to it. It's cool. You know, we haven't talked about humor on the podcast yet. And so this is great that it's gone where it has, because again, it's such an important part and, and also having fun because again, like particularly if you're in B2B sales and that you've got an appointment with a rep, like how does that sound like fun? Yeah. So if you can then bring a little bit of fun into it and actually make it an enjoyable experience, then again, as you said, that genuine curiosity, get to know somebody and get to know what their genuine needs are. And I think one of the other thing is, is, is like, and not be again, obsessed with an outcome, isn't it? Not attached to the outcome and just yeah. have an intention of having a great experience and creating perhaps a great relationship in the process. Yeah. The one thing that, you know, for people who don't think that they're funny, and I think this is really important because maybe some people listening to this, like, yeah, but I'm not that funny. Um, I didn't think I was really funny. And uh, what I do is if I do tell a joke and nobody laughs, I go, oh, well, this is all good. And then they'll laugh afterwards. So like, you know, you can make a fun of the joke that didn't work. And go, okay, maybe I'll try another one later and hopefully you guys will laugh. And I literally will say that. And I'll be in the awkwardness. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a bit awkward right now. Well, I did a joke. And I literally just do that to alleviate the pressure. So even if you tell a joke, and I wish you this way, anybody who is like feeling maybe I'm not as funny as what, I don't know, Kevin Hart, you know, that you can do your version of that and make fun of it along the way. The other thing is with, you spoke about like going in a B2B sales and speaking to a rep, you know, the law of reciprocity is huge as well. So, you know, the, like any way that you can do little things, whether it's making them laugh, whether it's complimenting them, whether it's getting them a coffee, if you do know that they drink coffee or whatever, like the law of reciprocity and bringing that human, that kindness into it will go such a long way. And even if that person doesn't buy from you, I'm going to tell you that they will remember you out of everybody else um, afterwards. One of the other things with sales um, that I am very strong on is if you do have someone who's got buyer's remorse afterwards as well, this is where kindness comes back in. Someone wants to leave or doesn't want to do the thing, just let them. Like, literally find out the reason. Maybe it's something that you can have a conversation about. But the harder you make it for them, the less likely they're going to come back or refer you. And so, you know, people need to think about the longevity and what they're doing. As they're talking to someone, is this act something that's going to form a long-term relationship with this person? And if the answer is no, then don't do that. Do something different that's going to create that. So, you know, sales isn't just, I'm going to get the sale now, I'm going to sell, thank you so much, see you later. It is the ongoing relationship that you have by bringing humor or gifts or acts of service or whatever it is and following through with that all the way to the end. Yeah, I think that's it's such a such a good distinction because I think that a lot of the time in that moment there's a there's an element of I guess a couple of things that come into people's minds as as a seller when that happens is there's an element of a fear of loss there's an element of perhaps defensiveness and all that sort of stuff as you said rather than coming at it from curiosity and kindness and also too it's such a learning experience as well because it could be something that really bumped somebody that may bump another person along the way as well. And so you got that opportunity to that continuous improvement, 
you know, mm-hmm. in your process and things like that too. And I love that you really just mentioned about that, again, thinking about the long term. Because, you know, really, if you wanted to be just a transactional seller, then just go and get a job at Macca's. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to worry about that so much if you're just going to yeah. be just selling fries every day. But even then, you've got an opportunity. Say if you are working at Macca's, you've got an opportunity to then create some relationships with people that may just come back and may even go on your line because even when your line's longer, because they liked the way that you interacted with them the previous time you were there. So there's always opportunities, isn't there? Even when people sort of feel that they don't have an op, when they say they don't feel that there is an opportunity to build a relationship and stuff, like we all have the power to influence, even in those little tiny little micro transactions that we have. So that's, that's really cool that you brought that up. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love it. I think also, you know, as we go through the sales journey, like you spoke, but like resilience is such an awesome word. Um, for sales and I think a lot of people see resilience as a hindsight um, experience rather than a foresight um, you know it's putting placing it in front and going this is what I'm going to build within me so that I can experience this in the future is such a strong uh, way of being and thinking of it and enjoying it and so you know this the long, to touch on the longevity, like when you're placing it in the foresight, you're looking into the future, not based on the past. Yes, get the feedback. Yes, improve. And also think about, well, what do I want to create in the future? And who do I need to be? What do I need to learn? Who do I need to surround myself with that's going to help me as well be getting there? Yeah, definitely, definitely helpful to look at it that way. And if you look at yourself personally and your own personal resilience along your journey, what have been the things that you've done in order to build that along the way, retaining that resilience and the consistency? What are those consistent things that you do in order to make sure that you've got those good reserves of resilience as you're moving forward in your journey? Yeah. Well, some of, some of the resilience that I've got wasn't my choice. And then uh, that weren't things that have happened in my personal life. Grief, people passing just before, like two minutes before I have to get on stage. Things like that that's happened that has really built a level of inner strength that I didn't know I was that was there, and so the, the reactive resilience sometimes you can't choose that. Sometimes it just happens, and when that happens, it's also kind of having the belief in myself and going, well, whatever I choose to do, I know I've got me. I know I've got me. I know I've got my back. Will I stand up for myself? Yes. Will I back myself? Yes. Will I show up tomorrow? Yes. Even if someone says X, Y, and Z, or even if they notice that I'm upset, or even if like, you know, will I be there for me? Because I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to be the person brushing my teeth, taking a shower. I'm going to be the person dressing me, you know? And so I do have me. And even if someone's lovely in their confidence at the moment, you do do those things for yourself anyway. Every single day, you put the food in your mouth, you dress yourself. You, you do all of these things, which means that's evidence points of you backing you. And so what I do is I stack that all of the time and I show myself, this is how you've got your back. This is how you've got your back. This is how you've got your back. And I say to myself, and this is how I build my stores of resilience uh, for the active re- resilience rather than reactive is I always thank my past self for what I'm experiencing right now in my present. And I do the things in my present that my future self thank me for. So because I'm going, thank you, past Lisa. Thank you, past Lisa. Thank you, past Lisa. I'm giving myself evidence points of how I show up for me. 
And because I know that I can show up for me, it then gives me evidence that no matter how big the mountain is that I'm going to climb, I know that I've got me every single step of the way. And even if I fall and I hurt my leg, I will figure out how to strap my leg so that I can continue journeying up or get the people around me that can carry me or whatever it is, I will always find a way. And it, it, it is just having that mentality of always finding a way and always being there for myself. And so for me, resilience is really going well. It's a level of inner strength, a level of inner certainty, and also embracing the uncertainties that happen in life when they happen and not crumbling at every single opportunity you get. Um, and, you know, it's, it's moving into the victor versus the victim because there's lots of opportunities that people can go, oh, well, he or she or they did this to me. And I've had moments like that, you know, I've had moments where I've been like people have done the wrong thing, absolutely the wrong thing in, in such an extreme way because they were greedy and they wanted to take. Um, and in those moments, I asked myself a question, well, how is this happening for me? Like, what? why did this person come into my life? What were they here to teach me? Because obviously I haven't learned something. Otherwise, this would not be here. Um, so it's either like, what is the reflection of the lesson? Or what did I ask for? That God of the universe has presented this to me, to me in this way, right? Because then they were saying, you know, when you ask God for patience, he doesn't give you patience. He gives you something to be patient about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how he built it. But I'm like, you know, when I asked for resilience, I didn't know what I was asking for. To be honest, I was like, resilience sounds so nice. I don't want that. And then I was like, oh, okay. All right. Um, now I understand. About whatever it is, if you're asking for courage or being more confident in most of the things, expect the challenge that's going to help you build it. And so now I'm going into life going, what am I asking for? And the challenges that come as a result of what am I asking for is something that I need to embrace because I asked for it. Yeah, that's so cool. Just that distinction on that. And, and I love that you said about thanking your past self, thanking your future self, all that type of stuff, because gratitude is definitely one of those resilience rocks, such a strong foundational piece. And again, one of those things, simple, simple, simple stuff. But again, people find it, they think, oh, how, how am I meant to be grateful for this? And it's like, again, you can't feel bad about something you're grateful for. So, um, and I also love that piece again, again, just that actively thanking your past self. Because so often that people beat themselves up about the coulda, woulda, shoulda, that type of stuff. I, it's, I have a similar approach and I just love that. I know, just knowing that if even half a second of something before this moment had been different, then now would be different. And so I think that's just such a, such a good piece there to that gratitude piece. And again, just knowing that you don't get handed these particular strengths that we want we have to acquire them it's not like we just go and put it in the vending machine and go yes I'd like to five dollar weather resilience today it's like no you are going to get you are going to get the life experience to do that but and but also there are ways that you can build it intentionally as well so I just think my gosh you've just shared so many great lessons with this today like I feel like there's lots of lots of parallels and just the similar outlooks on life and so I am super super grateful that You've come to come and hang out and jam and riff on all these sort of things with me today. And there's just one more little piece on the resilience rocks bit as well is that the resilience rocks being like rock as in music as well. 
And so music is just such a transformational thing that we can utilize in order to build resilience and change our state at any given time. So what is your go-to song that you would use if you needed to change your state? You need to change your state quickly. What would be the song that you would put on in order to do that? But I'm such a music freak that I've got so many songs. You're like, what is the one song? Um, I've got anchor songs that mean a lot to me from an emotional. So I guess it depends on what my emotion is. Sometimes I'm like, as soon as the Latino music comes, I'm like, other times, I, like one of my, my, my favorite song is Dancing in the Moonlight. Like that is my favorite, favorite song because it's just such a happy song. And it's got a lot of anchors to it. Um, but I guess uh, sometimes I, I listen to Whitney Houston sing some ballads and that gives it to me too. I think the power for me in the music is emoting, um, whatever emoting, and that's that I use my emotions for that. So music is absolutely a great change state um, experience. And well, sometimes I'm hardcore to rock and I'm just like, like from ACDC, I don't know, it, it changed on the day like the wind up um but it is it is something that is a huge and important part of it too yeah well what i'll do is i think dancing in the moonlight is a good one it's top loader isn't it yes and uh, i'm a human jukebox that's just my that's my affliction (laughs) it's like go to a trivia night okay music round okay give it to stacy but yeah so what i'll do is i've got a playlist on spotify called resilience rocks and i think that Dancing in the Moonlight would be an awesome addition to that. So I'm going to pop it on there with um, honorable mention for you. And we'll also pop a link to that track on that playlist. And then we pop this up online as well. So again, I just want to say thank you so much. I've loved a lot of this and I know that the audience will as well. So if people would like to find out more about learning about consistency and just connect with you in general and learn from yourself and the great stuff that you share, where is the best place for people to do that? So Instagram or Facebook, it's just lisa.a.barry. All of my socials are fairly similar. So if you did want to follow me on any of the socials, it's lisa.a.barry. And that's it. It's as simple as that. Awesome. Again, thank you so much. I encourage everybody to go and connect with Lisa. I've been watching some of the reels and I've just gotten a lot from it as well. Again, thank you so much for coming to play today. And until next time, I look forward to joining you on the next episode of Resilience Rock Sales. Thanks for joining us again this week on Resilience Rock Sales. Don't just listen though, take action. The best sales professionals are always learning. Head over to resiliencerocks.com now to go backstage and get the resources mentioned today to help rock your sales goals.